extraordinary districts in extraordinary times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust. In this podcast, we are talking with expert educators about how they are meeting the unprecedented challenge of educating students without being in the same building. Today, April 27th, I am talking with Melinda Young, Superintendent of Steubenville City Public Schools, and Lynette Gorman, Principal of West Elementary and Curriculum Director for Elementary. I first met both Ms. Young and Ms. Gorman way back in 2007. Back then, Ms. Young was Principal of Wells Elementary, one of four elementary schools in Steubenville. At that time, I was relatively early in my search for high-performing and rapidly improving schools that serve children of color and children from low-income backgrounds, and Wells was a really great example of a high-performing school. It had several years where every single third and fourth grader met state reading and math standards. When I first visited, I found that Steubenville was rather a sad town. Part of Appalachian, Ohio, bordering West Virginia, the big steel plant on the river was rusting away. Another nearby steel plant had just had another round of layoffs. Many of the city's buildings were empty and crumbling. The once thriving city was a shell of itself, and most of its residents were surviving on very little. But Wells was a hive of activity, with children reading and talking about what they were reading, doing math and talking about math. I featured Wells in my book, How It's Being Done, published by Harvard Education Press in 2009. Wells was then the standout school in the district, but the other schools kind of caught up, and the high school has long had really good graduation rates and achievement. In 2017, I went back to Steubenville to feature the district as part of season one of the Extraordinary Districts podcast. I've learned a lot about schools and districts from the folks in Steubenville, and Melinda Young and Lynette Gorman are two of the people who I have learned the most from. Melinda Young became superintendent in 2014, and Ms. Gorman, when did you become principal of West Elementary? 2010. I think when I I first went to Wells, you were the fifth grade teacher, isn't that right? Yes, that's correct. And... The thing I remember is you were reading a story to your fifth graders and you were, I can't remember what the story, I can't remember what the book was, but you said, okay, it's time to stop. And the whole class went, no, (laughs) they so wanted you to continue. But I guess it was close. They had to go to lunch or something. Um, But they were that into the story. And it was a really... uh, that was uh, that has remained in my head for quite a while. So how is Steubenville as a whole doing? I, I think we're doing pretty well. First, I'd like to thank you give it, to give, giving us this opportunity um, to share with you and to let you know that we have followed you on the other podcast as well. And you're welcome back here anytime. Well, I... I, I I'm wondering when we're going to be able to travel again. I'd love to come back to Steubenville. You know I'm a huge fan. But, like, when is that going to happen? Who knows? We hope sooner Uh, than later. (laughs) Right. So I said that Steubenville was a sad town when I first visited, but 
In my last visit in 2017, I felt as if things were looking up a bit. Uh, there was more life in the downtown, and it just seemed as if things were happening in Steubenville. I worry that this corona recession could really put it back again. How, how, how are you thinking? Um, again, we're hoping for the best. Um, I'm not sure in 2017 if... Um, the steel mill in Mingo Junction, which is right next to Steubenville, um, reopened and hired, I think, about 1,500 um, people. So that was a great boost, big boost for us. And um, so far, they've only laid off, I believe, 100. So we're really hoping that that steel mill continues um, going forward. And, of course, those jobs create other jobs as well. Steubenville is one of those places where pretty much every teacher I met said, well, my dad worked in the mill. Mm-hmm. Not just the teachers, the principal, everybody. That, you know, it's, it's a mill town, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so, so you closed your school buildings March 13th. Is that, do I have the right date? We went through um, the 16th. The 17th, went- St. Patrick's Day, was the first day the district was actually um, closed. So did you have, what did those first days look like? Well, we kind of um, were listening to the governor and watching his press conferences. And probably about a week prior to him closing schools, we kind of felt that it was going to be coming. So we had um, had all of our teachers actually make um, packets, instructional packets for all of our students. Because at that time, we were still believing it was only going to be two weeks. Um, so we did actual instructional packets, paper, pencil, um, the teachers that taught online or worked with the students online after school, of course, continued to do that. But as we saw that it was definitely, um, not going to be over in two weeks, we moved more to the online, um, instruction. And I'll let Lynette talk a little bit about that transition. Well, I just, I think that initially, you know, we, we were very thankful for uh, Mrs. Young's leadership. You know, as soon as she felt like the schools, there was a possibility that the schools could be clo- closing, she assembled the building leadership together to discuss exactly how we were going to uh, pursue a possible closing of the schools, or we should say remote learning, because the schools haven't been closed, the physical buildings have been closed but our teachers are still instructing remotely. So, you know, we assembled together and decided exactly how we were going to take, take it on this unprecedented event. How are we going to do this? So once we came up with a plan, you know, we took it right to our teachers. And I have to say that our teachers um, have been rock stars just in the way that they've been executing the plan. It's a hybrid type of plan. Um, where we are doing online instruction, but knowing our population, whether it's lack of devices or lack of internet, um, we had to come up with a pencil uh, paper type packet that we would be um, um, disseminating amongst our students, whether they could pick those up. We even had um, our paraprofessionals out delivering those packets that were not picked up just to ensure um, equality and to make sure that our, our student population was being educated. So, well, I, I'm curious, what's in those packets? Like, we hear a lot about packets, but what's in them? Right. Initially, because we weren't sure how long we were going to be instructing remotely, 
we said, let's, let's kind of just put in fillers, review of the things, of the lessons that had already been completed. So the teachers put together about two weeks, three weeks worth of, of work that was a review of what the students had already done. When we got the word that we would stay, you know, stay closed, that the buildings would stay closed for an extended amount of time, we basically said we cannot continue to review. We have to pick up from wherever we left off in order to make sure that, you know, the academics were progressing um, according to the standards and according to the pacing calendars that we have um, in our elementary buildings, especially. So the teachers got together by, you know, coming in and getting the, the content together, the assignments together based on what the students would be doing in school, um, knowing, you know, knowing that the instruction, how are we going to do that? So we brought in Zoom lessons so that teachers are um, able to actively engage with students. As far as the packets are concerned, basically, we're just continuing to do um, the content and the lessons that would be done if they were here in school. So what percentage of your students are online, are, are able to get online and do Zoom lessons? Actually, it's much higher than we thought. Um, coming from the high school, the high school teachers are actually reporting that they have a higher completion rate now than they had prior to school. And their thoughts on it at the middle school and high school, that the students are really taking this serious, that they understand that this is a serious situation. So um, I would say about 80 percent. Um, the biggest concentration that we have of students not getting online is at East um, Elementary. I don't know if you remember East, um, because by the time they get to the middle school, most of them do have a phone and they're able to use their phone also um, to communicate. Right. That's the nice thing about Zoom is basically, you know, you can you can use Zoom with any type of device, a tablet, a desktop, or a phone. Um, and most of our students or the parents, um, you know, are equipped at least with the cell phone. Um, we had situations where we weren't hearing from students. So teachers were really making an effort to reach out to families. And what we found is when we were calling numbers, they may not have been picking up or answering emails, but we could find them on Facebook. And if we messaged them on Facebook, then they would respond and we were able to give them the Zoom information. And before you knew it, kids were popping up. Um, our concern, as Mrs. Young said, um, was East Garfield, just getting a hold of them, um, getting a hold of those students and parents. We were worried that some of the teachers' hours, you know, they were basically doing their instructional hours on Zoom or are doing their instructional hours on Zoom from 9 until 11 in the morning. Well, for, for that particular building, um, they weren't getting a very good response. So they moved the time to accommodate students thinking, are they still sleeping? So they moved it to the afternoon and they seemed to be getting a better response. Um, so we're just kind of working with, with families, working with our students um, to try and accommodate them as best we can. We just want to get them on there and make sure that they're getting some type of instruction. And it's really a, a learning process for us. We actually met with the leadership team um, this morning and went over what was working in the buildings, what wasn't working. Um, we talked about um, our buildings are still open if somebody would like to come in and do, use the Internet. Also, our technology um, coordinator is going to try to, um, I don't know how they do it, I'm not a tech person, but how to have hot spots, how to somehow um, increase the area around the schools that are actually a hot spot so um, more people can actually pick it up. Well, because the governor has said, you're not coming back this school year. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're, 
when did he announce that? Last week. Yeah. So so we you're, were hoping for that May first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was it was it was aspirational. <laughs> Is it helpful to have that certainty of okay, well, you know, I mean if you were coming back on May first, then you would be doing different things, but now you know you're not coming back until the end of the year. And I think this has really given us an opportunity in education because I think as educators, we're slow to change a lot of times. So there was no time here to think or to second guess. It was just what we had to do. And we saw our teachers did, um, you know, meet those expectations and made sure they were reaching out. And um, so many of them were so creative on some of the things they were able to do. And the students are, I can't believe how much they're on Facebook now, um, sending us messages, Mm -hmm. um, showing off some of their um, project-based learning. So we are getting um, some of that back and forth. But um, right now, what we're doing as a leadership team is um, putting together a group that we're going to make sure we're ready if we have to be online at the beginning of the year, that we're really ready for it, that we have the content and the curriculum. And also a concern is, again, making sure they have devices and they have access to that internet. Um, Also, we're looking at how can we do a blended learning. If the governor tells us today, he said the retail establishments can reopen on the 12th, but they have to use only half the amount that's um, allowed um, on their fire, you know, inspection report. So if that would happen to us, we have to find creative ways. Is it better for our population to do a half day of school with each group? Is it better to go every other day? Um, because of the pandemic, are we going to find that there's a lot of parents that want to stay online all day? So I don't, you know, those are kind of the things we're looking at and we're hoping with your podcast that we're learning from, from them as well, what's working and isn't working. Well, so, so the podcast that was just uh, launched today was with Corey Miklas, who's the superintendent of Seaford, Delaware. And he said that one of the things he's thinking about is what if kindergarten comes on Monday and is spread out across the building and first grade comes on Tuesday. I don't know how you work that. I, I don't know how you do that because that means teachers have to cover grade levels that are not theirs. And I, I, I think, I think the contingency planning is just so complex. Um, what you're having to think about is just such a complicated problem. Um, are you doing surveys of parents about what they would prefer yeah, we just we just Someone, recently yeah we just recently week. sent um, a, a survey out to our parents um, just to see how is this going? What do you think? You know, I personally had gotten one one particular email, and I just sensed the mother's anxiety. So I picked up the phone and gave her a call. Um, she has five children. She's working from home. She basically said, "Listen, I don't have enough devices." For all the kids in, in my in my household. Um, I'm working at the same time that they're supposed to be doing their instruction. What do I do? So, you know, she and I kind of came up with a plan according to teachers. Again, teachers are accommodating these, these parents by, you know, maybe not moving their instructional time for, for all of the students if they're getting a good crowd on there, but tailoring their times to meet those students individually. So we really, you know, we tried to tell them on, listen, 
if they get on, they get on if one day, if they can't, they can't, we're willing to work with you. We're willing to make sure that we're getting on and instructing one-on-one, just trying to lessen her anxiety. Um, but again, it's just such an unprecedented time, but I know in this particular district, we don't want to be caught off guard again. You know, we kind of pride ourselves on being a proactive district. We don't want to be reactive. So for us, it's really just a time to really think outside of the box. Um, Mrs. Young put together some focus groups. Today, we, we had a meeting and basically at every le- level, elementary, middle school and high school, we're going to be talking with um, community members, community organizations, with our parents, as well as with our teachers and administration to basically talk about how can we do this, not knowing what we're going to be walking into in August, how can we make sure that we're bringing instruction to our students in the best way possible so that we can formulate a plan and be ready when the unknown happens. We don't know. Right. One area we knew um, early on we had to improve on is um, we had set one device per family. Well, it took us a day or two to realize that one device per family really didn't work. <laughs> but I don't, but see with not ever doing it before, we truly it's thought, you know, it's trial and error. Mm-hmm. We're giving you one device. You that know, should do it. Yeah. And then we said, well, no, that's kind of crazy. Why did we even think that could work? Talk about crazy. How do we even think that can work? I know that you have sp- spent a lot of time getting pre-K into operation. You, you when last we spoke, you said that you were planning on offering pre-K to every student in Steubenville who was eligible. How do you do pre-K online? They also do the um, paper pencil. They do some that way. They also do Zoom. Um, our tech coordinators, actually, we don't have um, a TV channel, but we're entitled to our own channel through Comcast. We're actually going to look at that for the fall if we have to do possibly something um, through the TV. Again, we talked about so many students coming per day for pre-K um, just to you know introduce their teacher. But I will say my grandson is actually in pre-K this year, and he can do Zoom better than I can do Zoom. <laughs> and he's four. <laughs> He can set it up on his computer like his, you know, my daughter was saying, I don't know if this is going to work. Well, it's, it's amazing how fast they can use the technology and they don't think anything about it. We've also been using our social media platforms also where we are posting constantly, you know, teachers doing songs or practicing sight words. Um, maybe there are stories, teachers are, are reading stories to the children and we're getting a great response from that. There are also two applications that come to mind that preschool teachers are using. Um, One is Seesaw and the other one is Blooms. And basically they're they're posting videos, they're posting pictures. It's almost like a Facebook, but it's just for um, the families and the students in that particular classroom. And they're able to communicate and comment back and forth. So that's an interesting option too for those preschool preschool kids who may be a little bit nervous or, you know, just can't don't have the attention span to sit in front of Zoom. But we're trying all different sorts of things, trying to see what works best. Yeah, I've been, I've been saying educators are throwing a lot of spaghetti up on the wall and right. seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> like some stuff's going to stick. Um, so, so Steubenville is a success for all district, uh, meaning that you 
fully implement the success for all curriculum, has that been able to be like transferred? Is that, how has that worked? Is that seamless or is that problematic? How, how does that work? Well, some parts of it had, you know, to be changed because you aren't doing that collaboration. You are doing some of it through Zoom, but it, it has changed. Um, one thing we weren't doing in the beginning was doing our tutoring. I don't know if you remember when you came that we tutor 30% of first grade, 20 of second, and 10% of third. Um, we started back up with doing one-on-one um, -on -one tutoring two weeks ago, and that's really helping those students that you could tell were falling behind because they weren't having that as much cooperative learning. And that's another conversation that we're having with that cooperative learning, even if we come back um, and have half the students, how are we gonna have them sit? We got rid of all of our desks pretty much last year and now <laughs> we just have tables. So, um, and tables take up more room than a desk. So we're, we're also looking at that issue and maintenance is trying to get us a number of how many desks are still in storage. Um, but I'll let Lynette talk about the SFA because she meets regularly with our um, facilitators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, we are continuing with the one-on-one -on -one, uh, tutoring program. We have paraprofessionals who are trained um, and they have the same list that they had when they were in school. So, you know, it's, it's pretty familiar for the children. Um, and basically they set up half an hour blocks where they're still doing the one-on-one -on -one tutoring. As far as our, our teachers and instruction go, you know, just like I said before, we're basically picking up where we left off. So in those assignment packs, you know, we use novels to teach, to teach our reading groups. And so the students were able to take, you know, the latest novel home with them along with the pack of, of questions and instructional materials. So when our teachers, our students are actually zooming in with their reading teacher first, and they, um, they're instructed for a half an hour to 45 minutes, and then they get off and they zoom in with their regular ed teacher who would then teach them, their homeroom teacher who would then teach all of the other subjects. So we try to keep that as seamless as we can. Um, you know, of course, are they partner reading together? No, but the teacher still is able to read from the novel. The students are able to answer comprehension questions and follow along in the book at the same time because all of the students have them. Um, in my particular building, I only had um, a few packets that were not picked up. And like I said, towards the beginning, we made sure that our paraprofessionals were out in the community delivering the packets and in the other buildings, they did the same thing. So we're trying to keep it as seamless as we can um, and stick with the format of that of that success for all reading and math programs. And one thing that came was really clear to me today when I met with the leadership team is when we were talking about the online um, learning, they felt we needed to get a system. We needed to get a pre-K-12 system. They said, it was funny, the high school principal said, we're a district of systems, that's how we've always worked systems in place just make you better. And so I, I think that was um, something that I was actually really happy to hear. Mm -hmm. That's so funny because the next question I was going to say, uh, my next question was that Steubenville City Schools has operated on the idea that systems elevate averages. That That's kind of been your mantra for years and years and years. And the idea being that individual efforts may be great, but unless they're part of a system, they're going to be kind of scattered and um, un, uncoordinated. And um, and so I I wanted to ask you how that's playing out. Like, what system is he envisioning that will be helpful? 
Well, one, um, well, one of the platforms that we decided as a group and with input from our um, teachers is we're going to go, we're going to use Google Classroom because we have right now, we have many things going at once. And um, that's the feedback we're getting from parents is I have, especially at the middle and high school, I have one login because some people are using um, Blackboard. Blackboard. Mm-hmm. They're using um Google Classroom, some are using what's our virtual, virtual class, yeah. virtual classroom, which is part of a progress book. Some, like Annette's, um, Lynette said, are using those apps. So we really, um, it's not that we want to take their creativity away, but we need a system so it's easier for students and families to participate. And it's just going to make us stronger if we have a system in place. That's one of the things that the parents are asking for as well. You know, if they have Um, students across all levels. It's just like there are so many numbers and so many logins and different apps and and we need one smooth platform. So we're trying to to listen to to the community and to our families and try to accommodate their needs as well. And, you know, we're looking even for, we believe at some point we will open and life will return to as normal as we can be. But we want to use now technology to benefit those students and to offer more individualized learning. I think with the teachers being thrown into it, the way they're being thrown into it, I think they've learned an awful lot that would have taken years any other way. What's the funniest thing that's happened? Is there something funny? I don't know. I don't find this funny at all. I don't well, want this one to be funny. The, the one thing that I was shocked at is we actually did negotiations for our three-year yeah. contract with the union. And um, when we were sitting, I was asking them, and, and they were very positive. We ended up, um, we have our contract within two hours. If we just negotiated two hours and we were done. But um, I think that, I don't know if it's funny, but it's kind of um, surprising how much they have embraced this and how they want to get better. So I don't know if that's really funny. <laughs> well, I, I wanted something light, something heartwarming. That's yeah, heartwarming. I, I have something light. So when, you know, my own son is home and he's, he's zooming on, in on his instruction. And I think the funny thing with this zoom is, um, you know, we have so much parental support and involvement because the families are home. And so we have, moms that are sitting next to their students and so that I'll hear the teacher ask a question and the, and the child is just kind of sitting there hesitant maybe thinking and the mom saying the answer's two the answer's two <laughs> so that makes it in a we're, we're glad that the parents are, are supporting us and we're glad that they're supporting their children and getting involved but they're definitely you know they're definitely taking a a, a role in in the zoom lessons for sure perhaps not a helpful role but a role <laughs> teaching them as well. That's right. Everybody's (laughs) learning. So speaking of high school, though, like what are you planning around graduation, all all those transitional moments? We decided to celebrate our seniors um, many different ways. Um, Last week they had on, um, they had light up night across the state that all of the um, um, stadiums stadiums were um, lit up. Um, we also on Saturday had a drive, a drive through town of all of our graduates that their doors were decorated. And um, our building principal, Teddy Gorman, had gone out to um, all of the kids and stood there with them. And they actually have a proud graduate um, sign in their yard 
that he um, delivered to them. Also, the local TV station is going to um, do a virtual graduation, which will have five to six kids come a day, walk across the stage, will say their name, and it'll be put together. So it'll be shown either 7 or 7.30, um, the middle of June. So they're doing that for our local graduation as well. Um, we have a, a makeup graduation June 24th, but we really don't think that's going to happen. But we felt we should at least try one, um, you know, one date to put it out there. But it is sad for, for our seniors that they're missing their prom, they're missing their graduation. Um, there's many things they're missing, but um, the high school continues to try to celebrate them any way they can. Also, every day, um, the high school celebrates one senior and actually um, talks about what they're going to be doing in the next step of their life. So that's put on Facebook. Can you think of anything? No, else? I think you have it pretty well covered. But we do feel bad for them. Heart, and heartbroken. Yeah. And, and is, are they... Are they signing up for college? Like, are do you have students who were planning on going to college, but now not so much? Not that um, I know of. Also, our local university announced that any student who starts in the fall, they will pay their full tuition for one semester. And we were thinking that if there are students who maybe you're thinking not they don't want to go away or if they were going to go away and the college is still kind of up, up in the air of whether they're going to have, um, you know, face-to-face -face classes that they would stay here. And at least they would have that opportunity to go to Franciscan because Franciscan's rather expensive for um, a lot of our students. So that would really help out even if after that first semester they transferred. We have a number of students graduating with their associate's degree also, so you know they're already they already have those credit hours, and they're going to get that that degree from um, Eastern Gateway Community College here in town. How many this year? I think thirty-two out yeah, of hundred. Yeah, so they're ready to go. I mean, yeah, out of one hundred and fifty-five graduating, thirty-two will graduate with an associate um, degree. And, and I know, and um, I know and a lot of others already also have um, credits toward a, an correct. associate degree. Right. Our students now start as freshmen, um, actually um, receiving credits. On another note, which was sad for our eighth graders, we're actually this year in May going to the high school to do their first um, college class, preparing for college. So we were kind of sad because they were very hyped up about being able to you know, be bused from Harding to the high school and have that class preparing for college because we just thought that was a nice way for them to start down at the high school. And in that eighth grade class, 82, 82 students are actually um, going to be taking college classes as freshmen. And they have to actually qualify using the ACCUPLACE, which is given by the community college, not by us. That's extraordinary. That is extraordinary. That and it's a testament to the work that's been done at the middle school level the last few years. That's a real testament. Uh, as I recall, you you said we're gonna we're gonna get the middle school you know in shape. It sounds like you did. Thank you so much, Ms. Young and Ms. Gorman. We may circle back at some point to hear how you're progressing. 
we at Ed Trust hope you and your families and everyone in Steubenville say, stay safe and healthy. I want to introduce my colleague now from Ed Trust, Dr. Tanji Reed Marshall. Tanji's a longtime English teacher who taught in both New Jersey and North Carolina and is now Ed Trust Director of Practice. Tanji, um, I was heartbroken by the thought of the of the seniors and the eighth graders and everything that's being missed. I, um, both both Ms. Young and Ms. Gorman are so practical and they're moving forward, but like the heartbreak is in there. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But I think I was encouraged to hear the intentionality around the high school principal, who even though they're missing these critical transitional pieces, they he's gone out of his way to ensure celebration. You know, she said that they celebrate a student every single day. That's very intentional. You know, that the television station is going to get five to six students to cross every day and then pull them together to to show a graduation. Um, So in the midst of the miss, I feel some encouragement by the same sort of the kind of concomitant, you know, actions around making sure kids are being celebrated, even though, you know, this is happening. And I'm sure given what they've said, they'll figure out a way to do something with those eighth graders as well. Oh, yeah. That they're not going to be, you know, that that thing is postponed as opposed to gone. Right. And so we're going to, we're all living in this shifted space right now. Um, you know, and I found it really encouraging that, that they're on a listening tour, you know, that they're having focus groups with key stakeholders. And, and I'm wondering, as I was listening, writing down, I wonder how they're going to get focus groups with kids so that their students are also going to be part of the decisions that they make as well going forward, because that's so important. You know, we hear from parents and community members, but the boots on the ground are the kids, you know, and how are they um, going to be thinking about transitioning back into a physical space when they've had so much autonomy on their side, you know, how are they going to help them blend all of those together and, and focus grouping with kids is going to be such an important thing as I'm sure they're thinking about already. Well, one of the, one of the things that struck me was that um, they want to make sure that the students all physically are um, acquainted with their teachers, but then once, once they're, once they know their teachers, they can go back and, and do c- remote learning, computer learning, but that they need that, um, they need that acquaintance. They need that knowledge, right? But they're looking at the long term. This is, this is, there are all kinds of unknowns, as, as uh, Corey Miklas told us last week. Um, and it's just, it must be impossible I shouldn't say impossible, but so difficult to plan for all the eventualities. I think it is difficult and challenging, but I think if you are a building person, which they are, they understand the multiplicity of complexity that others don't. And so they're able to really dig in and get to the complexity and really unearth them in ways that people who are not in buildings can imagine, right? They're always, they live in the what if, right? Like what if the bus doesn't get to school? How can I get kids to school? Like that happens 
a lot. You know, like what if a child is crossing a street and inadvertently gets hit by a car by accident? They live in what ifs all the time. This is a highly magnified what if you know situation that's going to be ongoing. But you know, something that um, Mrs. Young said, she got pushed from her high school teacher who said we need systems. Right. And, and they already said systems elevate, you know, outcomes. And so if you are system, if your paradigm is systems, the what ifs don't catch you as far off guard because you are planning in that, you know, you know, talk about a, a sports metaphor, you know, the best, you know, defense is a great offense, right. Or whichever way it goes that like you have to be on offense right now. Right. You got to really be defending by being offensive and getting yourself geared up for whatever will happen, because, you know, I'm thinking they're probably going to be a little bit of both. Some in person, some online, a little bit of blend. It's going to be a lot of scenarios. And I think system minded districts are going to be those that fare better. You know, they're going to really, really be keyed in to who they are, what they do well how to structure themselves, how to communicate all across all of the lines that are necessary so that kids are serviced. Well, and and that has been a hallmark of Steubenville for many, many years, decades, Mm -hmm. um, that, that individual efforts are great, but they are scattered. And so Mm -hmm. in order to make the most of them, you have to put them within a system that can that can really uh, accelerate and and uh, uh, provide some momentum. And so yeah. they, this is this is their language. Systems it systems is. language is their language, um, mm-hmm. and has been for for many many years. Um, I think that we're used to pockets. We're used in to education. yes. We're used to pockets like pockets of excellence, of excellence right. here, pockets there, pockets everywhere, but. I think, you know, given what they say, you know, individual excellence is not enough. We can't have any more pockets. Well, and, we and <laughs> in fact, when I first went, well, I, I won't say it was a, I won't say Wells was a pocket, but it was clearly an outlier. And instead of allowing it to be an outlier and the others to be laggards, instead, the others, be, the others kind of met the, uh, the standard of Wells to a large mm-hmm. extent. And it, it has been uh, really this extraordinary s- story. Uh, Steubenville, at the elementary level, has outperformed wealthy Ohio suburbs for many, many years. I remember reading that. Yeah. And, um, and uh, its high school has outperformed the suburbs. I, I didn't have time before this to go and look at the data on the middle school, but clearly the middle school has really stepped up its its uh, action. And I was also interested in hearing that the union uh, contract was negotiated in two hours. I kn- two hours? <laughs> I know they have... It's a record. Well, I mean, they have had a strong relationship with the union for a long time. But this is a really challenging moment when you'd think okay, we're going to have to, we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about in terms of computers and remote learning and to be able to sort of say, well, we're going to have to figure it out, work with us. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. And, and there's got to be a lot of trust in that relationship mm-hmm. for that right. to happen. And, and I think that's exhibited in two hour time right. slots. 
you know, I mean, I, that's a testament to the relationships and the processes and, and most of all the trust, because we know what happens even in this time when there shouldn't be contention. There is going to be contention if trust is not the core of the relationship. And that's critical. And so congratulations to them for, you know, that kind of relationship with, with their union to be able to get this done in such a short time. Right. And that's not because they're not asking a lot of their teachers. Right. They right. are asking a lot of their teachers, but the but they're not asking more than the teachers can bear, clearly. Right. If they were, that yeah. would not have, have gone so smoothly. So that wraps up this episode of the Education Trust Podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. Our aim is to bring you the voices of thoughtful educators grappling with all the questions of equity and excellence that face all educators today. Please subscribe so you are notified of new episodes. If you think this is valuable, recommend us to your friends and leave a review wherever you got this podcast. And if there is a particular educator you'd like to hear from, let me know who and why. You can email at extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or me at at Karen Chenoweth, K-A-R-I-N-C-H-E-N-O-W-E-T-H, or Tangi at at Remarsh76. Mike Patillo records and edits this podcast from Tonal Park. He was able to record our conversation through the magic of Zoom. Thanks to the whole team at EdTrust for helping get this podcast launched. And thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thanks, and see you next time.